0: Today on CityCast Denver. More and more people are leaving the service industry for better paying jobs, remote jobs. But what is it going to mean for our city if we're all just rectangles on each other's screens?
1: I mean, every worker is more than a rectangle on the screen.
0: One of Denver's top coding schools went remote during the pandemic, but now they've decided to stay remote forever. I asked the founder why.
1: There are some people say like, what about folks who they like can't learn remotely or they would really be a lot better in person? I feel for those people. And also, I think we gotta we gotta figure out ways to make it work because this is where the jobs are.
0: Today is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. And here is the news. It's going to be another hot, sunny day with highs in the low 90s. There are no tornadoes in the forecast, which I don't normally have to say, but after what happened earlier this week in Weld County, maybe it's nice to know. Earlier this year, Denver City Council voted 11-2 to allow up to five unrelated people to live together in a single home. Many people, including our regular host, Bree Davies, celebrated the vote for recognizing that group living is already a reality for many Denverites, and that this change allowed more people more affordable housing options. But not everyone was happy about it. In the two years it took the city to design the new policy, some Denverites came together as a group called Safe and Sound Denver to oppose any changes to the group living ordinance. They basically said it would harm neighborhoods. And they're still energized, apparently. Denver Elections Division announced earlier this week that Safe and Sound Denver has delivered enough signatures to put the issue on the ballot in November. I'm sure Bree will have plenty more to say about that when she gets back from maternity leave later this summer. Meanwhile, up in Westminster, the word of the day is gridlock. And no, I'm not talking about traffic on 36. The Westminster City Council spent two and a half hours attempting to pick a finalist to fill their vacant seventh seat. And after a whopping 99 rounds of voting, they were unsuccessful. The council is evenly split on the hot-button issue of water rights, as in sewer services and clean drinking water. And no candidate presented a suitable compromise. So now West Winster voters will fill the seat in November. Hopefully they can manage it in just the one ballot. Yesterday on the show, I talked to Elle Taylor of Amethyst Coffee about why she and her co-owner decided at the height of the pandemic, when they had basically zero revenue, to increase wages for their staff. It was a fascinating conversation and you should definitely listen to it. But there was one piece that stuck out that I want to revisit today we were talking about all these reports of a so-called labor shortage. I know a lot of people in coffee or hospitality who have, you know, they've gone to coding school, so they're like in the tech, tech world now. And I just so happen to have a personal connection with the code school here in Denver. A few years ago, my wife was at a turning point in her career, and she wanted to learn how to code. She did a bunch of research and decided that the Turing School of Software and Design offered the most rigorous program a mission she believed in, and that Turing grads went on to get the kind of high-paying tech job that she wanted. And listener, let me tell you, that decision changed our lives.
1: I have not like done work at the office since before COVID. It's kind of like visiting the house you grew up in or something, but now like sold it to someone else.
0: Jeff Kazimer is the executive director of Turing and one of the keenest analysts of the local tech market that I've ever met. And earlier this year, he and the team at Turing took a look at what was happening in the market, and they made a big, risky decision that has a lot of resonance with L. Taylor and Amethyst's story. They decided that even though vaccines were coming and the city was going to reopen, Turing's classes would stay remote permanently. Yesterday, I talked to the owner of a coffee shop about the so-called labor shortage in the service industry, and she said that a lot of people who used to work those jobs are leaving for code schools like Turing. So, Jeff, I'd love to start by hearing an overview of what Turing is, but maybe you could explain it in terms of how a, a former service industry professional might interact with your school.
1: Yeah, about 10 years ago was in touch with a friend and we started talking about this idea of like if you had smart hard-working people who didn't know anything about programming could you teach them to be professional software developers in a really short period of time and our hypothesis was yes and been running it ever since folks are often somewhere in the age range of like 25 to 35 and they've been working in some jobs and are starting to realize Like this job doesn't have a trajectory that I'm excited about for my whole life. So how can I get into a career? And then they commit to working, we call it super full-time. So doing those like 60, 70, 80-hour weeks for a period of uh, about seven months. And then they learn all the things you need to be a modern like web software developer and then graduate and go get jobs.
0: One of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was... um Earlier this year, you all at Turing made the decision to take this school remote yep. indefinitely, yep. not just for the pandemic. Why?
1: Yeah, uh, it was a hard, hard decision. Well, obviously we had we we had to move online. It was completely unreasonable to consider any situation of bringing you know two hundred plus students a day together into this windowless basement as like COVID worst case scenario. So we had to go. Right. We had to go remote. And then during really this, the next nine months, the question was, when are we going to go back in person? You know, it's it's not a if, but it's a when. And it was only in about August where we started kind of jokingly asking the question, are we sure we should go back? In the fall of 2020, we got to see the first students who had started remotely and finished remotely. And when you looked at that data, they're success rate was really high in fact in late 2020 we had the highest graduation rate we've ever had in seven years couple that with the tech industry started recovering as soon as august of 2020 fourth quarter of 2020 and first quarter of 21 we saw more alums accept jobs than any previous fourth quarter or first quarter you have a higher percentage of students are graduating those students, when you look at all the demographic markers, we have more people of color enrolling. We have more people without college degrees enrolling. We have more parents returning to the workforce enrolling. And they're graduating. And now they're getting jobs. It doesn't make any sense to change that. How do you personally feel about this change? Um, I don't like it. I don't. I mean, I miss as a uh, teacher as a friend as like I love being together with people in person right and I I think I started teaching middle school and high school almost 20 years ago and it's like being in the classroom is like my happy place so being at home on zoom is yeah it's not the same but if you learn that what's best for students is to be remote then you got to be remote. It's not the Jeff School of Software and Design. It's like, we we have a mission, we do whatever it takes to succeed at the mission, whether I like it or not.
0: So this decision that you all made, it was a data-driven decision. All of your uh, key performance indicators, to use a term of, uh, yeah, of the industry, fancy. are 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 telling yeah. you that this is the right thing to do. I mean, you're you're not the only ones looking at these trends. Like all of these tech companies, local tech companies are, are probably looking at these same things and making decisions for themselves. What do you think we can learn about the tech labor market in Denver right now from the decision that you all made?
1: I think the economic disruption accelerated by COVID is still only in its early stages. And I think, you know, when I listen to Elle talking about running her, her coffee shops, there are these baked in like assumptions about how work and labor and pay and so forth should go. right? And when you talk about... What if somebody at a coffee shop is getting paid $15 an hour? What if they're getting paid $20 an hour or $25 an hour? There's some part of people, I don't know why we have this kind of reaction to it. We say like, oh, that's too much. Why is that too much? And I think there are a lot of aspects to how we understand or or maybe don't understand, like economics and labor and so forth and markets that, we're going to see play out over the next few months and years where for me, remote work in my eyes, I should say remote work is a like worker empowerment environment. Worker mobility leads to higher salaries. So I am of the belief that like what benefits some workers benefits all workers. Like if you create a, a remote work environment where now somebody can live in Fort Collins or live in Pueblo or live in Telluride, anywhere around the state, and have a solid job, have really good pay in the tech industry, that's one person out of the local labor force and creates that much more demand for service jobs, for mid-tier jobs, whatever, what, what have you. So it's like tech is like this place of privilege, of course, and being in the tech industry is it's just like... It's not easy, but man, it's sure close to it. Like a lot of things are easy about being a a tech worker. And by creating those pathways for people, for putting people onto those kinds of trajectories, it's better for people in their lives, for their families, for their kids and their parents. And then there's also these network effects of, right, they're spending more money in their local economy. They're, They're leaving open a job that someone else can take in that local space. So we're accepting that there were assumptions we made before COVID that maybe we're willing to change. And I think that applies to like remote work, remote life, uh, how we engage with friends, how we like go out in spaces, all these pieces. So there's a lot of change still left to be made.
0: I'm I'm totally with you. I find that very exciting, this moment of like challenging assumptions, but but I want to go back to something you said uh, earlier. I mean, we were talking about how going remote has made your program more accessible for people. We were talking about the the hiring spree. How how many of these jobs with these high-paying jobs really are there? Like, can this really lift everybody up? Can the market absorb droves and droves of people leaving the service industry to, to become coders?
1: I think so. You know, the rule of thumb in, in tech is that the size of the industry doubles every five years. And when we look at Denver, you know, back when I started teaching here in 2013, Denver Tech was not much of a thing. There were a couple tech companies in the city, there were a few more in the DTC, but really Denver was like the little sibling to Boulder. All the real tech was in Boulder. And now over these last eight years, Denver has really grown up as a a tech place, tech workforce and there are opportunities for workers right here, companies elsewhere. Like one of my staff members just got a job with Apple and it's like Apple didn't really hire remotely before COVID. Now they do. Obviously, I'm not saying like, I want no one to work in the service industry, but if people want a different path, there are more paths out there.
0: Well, here's what I'm worried about though, because... And this is something I hear from peers all the time is in that same period you were just talking about where the Denver tech industry exploded, you know, that's also the same period in which Denver got a lot more expensive for people and a lot harder to live. So these all of these people who are getting these jobs at Apple working remotely, that's a lot of people who can buy $7 lattes, but what about what about everybody else? How is this how, how do you think are you worried about how this is going to change our city?
1: Yeah, and it I I am Economic change always has pressures and victims, right? And so I hate to see people who grew up in a neighborhood, whose families have been in a neighborhood, feel like that neighborhood's no longer accessible to them. And and so I think everyone should be concerned about that. Yes, the city is – it's – Real estate is obviously tremendously expensive right now. Buying a home, buying a condo or whatever in Denver is next to impossible at the moment. I think you look at uh, consumables, food and coffee and so forth, all those things are getting more expensive. But I think the ideas of remote work allow for a decentralized place, right? And so how do you really create and, and reinforce small communities that don't have to be in downtown? I want to see downtown thrive, but let's have like lots of satellite downtowns, if that makes sense. Right. And I think you will see this in places like Littleton, where it's like, there's a ton of residential um, kind of inventory and not like necessarily for sale, but there are a lot of like homes and, and so forth in that area and also retail business. And it's like, well, we can just do our living and our consuming here and our work can be from home. That's at least a really interesting model that historically hasn't existed in America. Like historically, you have to commute into the city, right, to do your high-pay work and then come back out to the suburbs. Now maybe we can create place in a, in a much more spread out geographic way.
0: Yeah, and just think about the city in a different way like you were saying earlier. And that, and that can be exciting and that can be exciting and, and maybe scary for some.
1: Totally, and, and yeah, it's not without downside, right? And and you hear these stories of uh, mountain towns and so forth worrying about what does it mean to have this influx of new people and new money. What does it mean to like our small town culture and kind of what makes our town special and so forth? That's a legitimate concern. Can you find this middle path that allows for like decentralized growth? and also honoring and preserving like the people and the cultures that were already in those places.
0: And isn't that the question?
1: Yeah, yeah. Which we don't have a good track record of, right? Like America, that's not what we do. So maybe this is an opportunity to try and do it a little differently.
0: Jeff Casimir, thanks so much for joining us on CityCast. Thanks for having me. That's all for us today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, I hope you have a really great day.